Greetings and welcome to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast with your hosts, Ray and Mark. In this episode, your intrepid hosts look at the issue of coronavirus and how society responds to pandemics. Ray and I are experts on social distancing. People have been social distancing from us since we were kids. Hard to believe we uh, we grew up with that little ditty, Barry McGuire. Now, for this topic, you know, I was thinking the other good things you could use would be rock and roll pneumonia and the boogie woogie flu. Mm-hmm. You can also go. My Corona. Sorry. Well, I know too soon. See. So. Well, well, welcome to a special edition, edition of the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast, the uh, Plague Edition. Uh, I'm Ray. I'm Mark. And uh, this is the, the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. And we're doing it tonight as a service to all our, our many listeners, especially the young kids out there who uh, may be weathering their first crisis. Ray is broadcasting from New York, and I'm broadcasting from Northern Virginia. We're really into the social distancing. And I'm swabbing my microphone with alcohol as we speak. Not real. Not <laughs> not really. That'd probably cause some electrical fire or something. <laughs> yeah. So so I finally get old enough and get enough years into retire, and uh, I age into one of the high risk groups. Which yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? Well, it is an interesting life experience because you stop and think about it. You know, there was the you know the big hoopla over the 1918 pandemic. And the societal changes that had to happen as a result of that. And then there's this. I mean, there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, protocol alerts, you know, in the intervening years. So it's an interesting life experience. We're going to try to stay away from political issues as much as we can. Because certainly there's there's a lot you could talk about there. But No, there aren't. I think we're going <laughs> to... Yes, there are. No, they're not. <laughs> yes, there are. Years a steaming pile a, of parrot droppings. <laughs> All right, so after a brief uh, technical glitch, there we are back with dad jokes to get you through the coronavirus. with dad jokes box. to get you through the coronavirus <laughs> disaster. Virus, corona, virus, coronavirus, COVID. That sounds That's like a easy. stripper name, Co- doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible. Uh, Too soon? uh, All right. Well, well, here we go. Um, So one of the issues that I've been thinking about a lot with regard to the current uh, health health scare, health crisis, is how do we treat people who are infected? Uh, Where does public health override basic civil liberties? When is somebody committing a crime because they're infected? And is it a crime? When does public health overrule personal freedoms? 
And that's interesting in a free and open society. I think the way we've done is we've taken a minimalistic approach. So let's say you've got someone who's who's not overtly trying to get anybody else infected. They're just you know going to the grocery store to pick up toilet paper, maybe tested positive or at least have been exposed, but are not quarantining themselves. Is that a crime? And what does society do to control that kind of behavior? If it can indeed control that kind of behavior. And are things going to change after this? My, my guess would be in this context, of course, this is going to go into the whole you know, historical thing, we can probably talk about the 1918 pandemic and protocols and all that kind of stuff. We'll have to see how this plays out. But my guess would be that um, it's not going to be so extreme that we have to start trying to regulate things like that. Because at the end of the day, my guess is that we're going to find out that this is the flu. It's just a, a new iteration of it. It plays a bit rougher. Um, it aims at its own different demographic but at the end of the day it's the flu and so now if you had bodies all over the place and society was threatened that's when you'd have an arguably health department law enforceable quarantine but you know how do you, how do you prove you were told to quarantine self-quarantine four days ago and didn't so you're in violation of a public order i guess i i would disagree with that a little bit because this is certainly more than the flu the the mortality rate is much much higher than the flu probably 10 times higher you mm -hmm. know conservatively that's the that's the other thing too it's like for every statistic you know there's probably a whole number of cases 20 50 80 who had symptoms that never had to self report never had to go to a hospital right. and so what are the stats maybe somewhere in between this and and the uh um the, the Spanish uh, Spanish flu, as it was called, uh, and it was 1918. You said mm -hmm. the, the it lasted year. two yeah. two years. So I don't know if it started earlier and went to 19 or 18 to 20, but it was two years long. The case that my parents uh, often reference was Typhoid Mary, uh, mm -hmm. which was you know in the early part of uh, same time period basically. Uh, Mary Mellon, I believe her name was. She was a uh, Irish immigrant who worked in kitchens uh, in New York City. Uh, starting at around, I think, 1908, she came into the United States. And she, it was, she was an unusual case where she was an asymptomatic carrier of typhoid, uh, typhoid fever, which I, I didn't realize till today, I looked it up a little bit, is just basically a type of salmonella. So, you know, same kind of symptom profile as, uh, you know, salmonella infection, you know, food poisoning, very acute food poisoning or uh, E. coli poisoning except that it's pretty deadly. And 10% of the people infected with it at the time died. There was no vaccine. There was no real treatment because antibiotics weren't invented yet. Mary worked uh, in these kitchens and finally a public health official tracked her down. They forced her to provide test samples. They confirmed that she indeed was a carrier and they forced her into quarantine on an island, a little cottage on an island that had a hospital on it near New York City. She was there from 1907 to 1910, and then a few years after that, there was a sympathetic commission of health who said, all right, we'll let you go, but you have to promise never to work in a kitchen again. And she promised. She got out, and she was working, doing laundry. She wasn't making as much money, so she went back to kitchen work, changed her name, and one of the places she ended up working was a maternity hospital, and she was like starting more outbreaks of typhoid fever, and she ended up having to be 
forcibly quarantined again from 1915 to 1938, and she died in quarantine in 1938. So, <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do if you have someone with a disease? Let's let's say it's it's COVID nineteen, and for the sake of argument, it, it's three to four percent uh, fatality rate. What do you do if someone doesn't want to quarantine? How do you enforce that? Where does the criminal justice system, the public health system, what do they do about something like that? And these are questions we haven't had to face. You know, what's what's interesting, and, and we keep talking about 1918, but basically in 1918, there was um, this flu that what I've read was, you know, it was an H1N1 flu, but uh, and it hit very hard in Spain, therefore the name Spanish flu. But it was in the days before any kind of viral understanding was in place. It was in the days before there was any formal protocols for um, for managing something like this. And what was unusual about this flu was that it apparently would hit the immune system and cause it to massively flare up and call and cause like swelling and things like that. And so the people with the strongest immune systems were the ones that were most vulnerable. So it ended up being, you know, people between like 20 and 30 uh, that were that were dying. And of course, we were mobilizing for World War One, and so soldiers were just getting, you know, taken out. And it was something, something incredible. Like you know, they estimate you know fifty million people uh, worldwide died. It was like, you know, six hundred and forty thousand in the United States. It was massive. And then you kind of fast forward to even you know my family history. Uh, my mom was born in nineteen twenty, which means she would have been celebrating her hundredth birthday this uh, this month you know which is kind of freaky but when she was a kid uh, her kid sister um, died as a result of you know diphtheria or something like that my mom actually had diphtheria uh, but all the doctor could do was to lay her on the bed and kind of hang her head over the edge of the bed to try to open the airway and it was mm-hmm. sort of keep your keep your fingers crossed and so what I start wondering, and we'll only know from a historical perspective looking back on this, but what I'm wondering about is, you know, there's going to be different kinds of bugs that are going to attack different age groups as being vulnerable. But what I'm wondering is if really this is the first time you're actually seeing the protocols kick in, and that's really the terrifying thing, that and knowing that this particular strain is probably going to have you know, a significantly higher death rate than the normal flu. But with the normal flu every year, that kills a lot of people, but you don't get a daily body count and you get no protocols activated. But this time you do. And so that's the freaky thing, I think. But we'll see in retrospect how it all plays out. Mm-hmm. And whether Mark and Ray are here to podcast next year. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're both in a vulnerable age group. We are. And I'm emotionally oh, yeah. vulnerable to begin with, so... Well, you'll be okay. You'll be fine. I'll be all right. <laughs> I have my teddy bear here with me. Yeah. So, but it is. But it is interesting. But I would think. I mean, you know, it's something in the, in the typhoid scenario. Um, what I'm wondering is if is um, whether you can, if you can identify somebody who has it, and then the health department can basically order you or law enforcement can order you to stay quarantined and then they know you and you're showing up outside of quarantine, mm-hmm. then, then I can see legal things happening. 
But when you've got this pandemic where, you know, tons of people are getting it, some are getting better. If you're 80 years old with diabetes or high blood pressure, maybe you don't make it congestive heart failure or something like that. But I, th- I think it's going to be very hard to find one person who's so bad they're ordered to stay somewhere and they don't. You know what I mean? It's like it's going to have to really present itself in a novel way for the authorities to even get a handle on it. Do you, do you think things are going to change after this? That there'll be laws enacted or procedures enacted based on, on what's happening now? I, th- I think what will happen is, in a way, it may be a good thing in terms of um, seeing how the protocols shake out. I mean, in 1918, we didn't have them. Um, and I read that uh, you know they were wondering they were going to have a big parade in Philadelphia and they were wondering whether they should cancel. And they figured, nah, mm-hmm. let's go ahead with it. And as soon as they went ahead with it, it, you know, the infection rate just soared. And so what I'm thinking is, it's probably going to be helpful in terms of protocol. It's probably going to be different in how we review things like telework and what the advantages are. And you really need to be ready to pack up and go telework from home. Um, right. So we, we may be changed as a result of that, I think. It's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about telework since, you know, I... I'm only doing consulting now from, you know, for where I used to work, but we're, we're kind of locked into that, that office space. Uh, I mean, we don't have contact with a lot of outside people. Everything's done by phone, fax, as it is. But people have to call in. We run a call center. One of the things I'm a little concerned about is the sudden move to telework, especially around a crisis, is have people tested the security of these systems? Are they opening themselves up to being hacked? And I, I think that's a real concern. Maybe that's been a capability all along on a lot of systems, but it's never been implemented. Mm-hmm. You know, typically, if you haven't in- implemented it, maybe the testing is is not quite up to par. So you may be opening yourself up to a lot of lot of hacking, a lot of data insecurity, especially around health data. But isn't that isn't that always the way when you're talking about um, social change, technological change, uh, pandemics? I mean, it, it, we. As a species, I think we kind of like the stasis. You know, we, we'll explore and stuff, but we kind of like things we're comfortable with. But there's always something that's like breathing down our neck, pushing us forward. And so there will be technological change, like, you know, the internet, and we just have to catch up with it. You know, and this is almost like the same thing. The events will happen. We have to catch up. So, yeah, I think it, I think it will create those problems. It'll create problems with bandwidth. Like the federal government, think how many federal workers there are. Send them all home and tell them to telework. What's the federal mm-hmm. government's bandwidth like? Is that going to be able to sustain it? Well, we'll be finding out pretty soon. Yeah, what's it like where you are? What's what's open? What's closed? What's changed? Um, well, a couple of interesting things. I mean, um, you know, we, we know about the, the sports events that have closed down. Um, and now our office is going to, fr- from really no telework to uh, uh, being present one day a week and teleworking four days a week. And mm-hmm. it kind of makes me wonder whether that's really social distancing or is the one day in the office kind of undoing the other four, you know, like if I'm, if I'm a carrier and I'm leaving it on surfaces and I'm in one day a week, is that much better mm-hmm. than me being in five days a week? Maybe, I don't know. But I mean, that, that is changing. And what I noticed is um, even tonight, I'm mean, tonight for dinner, there was a, a small group of folks on uh, Facebook, but they were talking about um, a local small business that does uh, dumplings and what Asian recipes. And what their business model has been is they have a food truck and they park outside businesses. 
companies and the workers come out at lunch and eat and that's their business model. Well, suddenly everybody's teleworking. And so they were really sweating. And so for the first time they're trying, what happens if we deliver? I was talking to one of the owners outside as she delivered and she basically said that the community outreach has been, you know, or the community response has been amazing. We were so afraid, you know, we would go under and not make any money to pay the bills. And, you know, and I told her, well, it may be a time to look at your business model because there's a ton of people here. We order out all the time uh, just because mm-hmm. it's easy, it's quick. And uh, so there's a market for it. There's not a lot of places that deliver, you know? So, so yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it in, and things like that. And of course, obviously the stores, you know, with the shelves empty and I'm not really sure what people are preparing for. I mean, I can see kind of, well, what if I had to quarantine for 14 days? I should have 14 days of stuff, but it's, mm-hmm. it's beyond that. It's like primal. And it's like, what are you preparing for the zombie apocalypse? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I was out shopping just about every day last week and things were kind of normal till Thursday and Thursday afternoon, things started to look really different. Like it was much more crowded than it normally is, you know, before Friday, before the weekend. And the shelves just started to just, just empty out. And it was weird. Like you said, it was weird stuff. Hand sanitizer, soap, just regular hand soap. Um, right. It, except for, like, I noticed on the soap aisle, everything was, was stripped. There were signs saying you were limited to five bars. The only thing left was, was Dove and Zest. So sorry, Dove and Zest. In the middle of a crisis, you're getting left behind. <laughs> so apparently, no soap is better than those two brands. Yeah. I don't know why. But uh, yeah, and uh, toilet paper, paper towels, um, antibacterial wipes, yeah. uh, everything's just, just stripped off the shelves. You know, the comparison that comes to mind for me, like, you know, like you were saying, things were fine until about Thursday, you know, like what, what would cause that kind of line to happen. And what I always think back is probably a story I told you about before, but growing up in upstate New York, um, you will very occasionally get a small, teeny tiny, you know, F zero kind of tornado. But by and large, it's every time the, the weather caster wants to be really cool. And I'll talk about, well, we got a tornado watch today. Oh, a tornado warning. You know, it's like, oh, wow, everybody gets excited. But it never does anything. It never goes really anywhere. Some trees get knocked over. Well, my first military assignment was in northern Alabama. I mean, the the place where there are real tornadoes, big tornadoes. Mm-hmm. And it was one day where the temperature shift from morning to afternoon was over 40 degrees. I've never seen anything like that. And I'm watching TV. There's a tornado watch. Okay, great. Uh, there's a tornado warning, and I'm going, ooh. And then it was tornado on the ground moving at such and such miles per hour north-northeast. People in the line of the storm should take cover immediately. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I've never seen this before. And right. so what I'm what I'm wondering is sort of when you're talking about warnings and flus, it's like, yeah, 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 nothing will happen. And then you watch it start happening, and you go, oh, crap, this is for real. And so maybe that was the line Thursday. Maybe. Uh, yeah, it, it is kind of funny. Also, like uh, around here, uh, when you have uh, a snowstorm forecast, you know, everyone quickly runs out and gets uh, toilet paper, milk, and bread. Right. And if you go into any store and you're at all late, those are just gone completely. Yep. Even though the, the snowstorm, you're going to be down for maybe one or two days. <laughs> but for some reason, everyone needs a week's worth of toilet paper at that moment. Now, of course, I would never participate in such panic buying, although I have a hard time explaining why we've bought $1,500 worth of groceries in three days. (laughs) I I suppose I'm just covering my bases in case there's something going on that I don't know about. Yeah, shopping for the apocalypse. That's the way it's felt the last couple days. Yeah. Yeah. 
But, but I do think it'll be an interesting life experience. I suspect most of us will be just fine. Um, and we'll see what protocols change. But it's, it's something we've never encountered before. And what, what I wonder about, too, is, you know, we know that during flu season, you know, we should be washing our hands. We should be not touching our face. But we really don't wash our hands. And we do kind of touch our faces. And I'm wondering if historically we'll look back on that and say, no, sometimes you really got to wash your hands. And you really got to stop touching your face. And sometimes you really got to telework. Maybe that's the big lesson here. There's also one thing that's a little different about this too, and, and even compared to the the swine flu, uh, the H1N1 from a few years ago. Uh, you know, for that one, you know, that one caught everyone a little bit off guard. But at the time, there was a vaccine and there were treatments. Uh, they're neither this mm-hmm. time around, so it, it right. is a little bit scarier, and it is it is yeah. a, a significantly riskier. You know, particularly if you're in those age groups or have those conditions. You know, I was out at a, um, you know, Walmart and I saw a couple of um, older people, you know, wearing the surgical masks. And then there was an older man who went to the pharmacy to get something. I noticed he was wearing uh, rubber gloves. It's just interesting to see stuff I've never seen before. Yeah. But the older you are, the more you need to do anything you can to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. Kids, if you're listening to this, go shopping for us. Bring us some stuff. That's right. Don't <laughs> don't bring us any any viruses, but bring right. us food. So, anyways, no, it's all very interesting. Um, I've known some folks, I, you know, some folks by what they text me. It's like it's daily. I mean, the other thing that doesn't help. I mean, awareness is good. Tips are good. The daily body count. I don't know. Is that's very helpful? Uh, we have this twenty four seven news cycle that always fights for viewership, sensationalism. Um, you're fighting for clicks on the internet. And there's an element of that too that plays into this beyond what's necessarily helpful. But I got some friends, you know, every day they're sending me these, uh, you know, dire news stories. And so, you know, I respond with things like, well, I definitely think you ought to run up and down your neighborhood screaming, um, ideally with some toilet paper flopping out the back of your pants. You know, that'll really help a lot. It's like, what, what do you want? Just, you know, be smart. And shut your pie hole. Let's go about doing business. What's this? What's this panic going to give you? What do you think the media's role in in this whole thing is? Do you think it's helpful, or do you think it does more harm? It's both. I, I, I honestly think it's both. Um, uh, and it's a whole different argument. But you know, in my view, once and it goes into what happens with politics as well. I think. But my theory is, once upon a time when we were kids. You know, there was PBS and then there was uh, three news networks, you know, ABC, Mm -hmm. CBS, NBC. And you had 30 minutes for the evening news. And so that's not a lot of time to do anything other than just deliver facts and let the public, you know, figure it out. You would have occasional talk shows, you know, Dick Cavett or Firing Line or something like that. But basically the news was the news. And now with the advent of the Internet, the advent to 24-7 news cycles, they're competing. And... There's becoming a blur between commentary and news coverage. It's becoming almost infotainment. And so in in my view, you're having public information, which is helpful information, and then just too much of it, too much detail, too constantly, and too much competition. And it it overhypes it to an unhelpful level, in my opinion. 
Yeah, well, I was listening to Dr. Fauci tonight, and uh, he was saying, uh, in the end, when, when we look back on this, he said, uh, I, I'd be much happier if we overreacted rather than underreacted. Well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. he's all talking. Yeah. Um, it was like that article I, I shared with uh, I shared with you. Did you go through that, the statistical breakdown? Did you yeah, read through that? yeah, yeah. Elise sent me a, a similar outbreak curve, and they were talking about that tonight in the news, too, that... Uh, Basically, there's there's not much you can do to stop in its tracks, but you want to make sure that the the, the slope of the, the the outbreak is low enough that the systems can handle it. Exactly, and that makes a lot of sense. The uh, for you for you listeners out there in the hinterlands, I had sent Ray an article, and it was the I had a friend of mine send it to me, and it was the best thing I've seen yet on it. It was a very dense read. But what it was, was a statistical view, how a pandemic will happen in different societies and you're, what you're aware of, the numbers you're aware of is just the tip of the iceberg. When there's so much more happening, you're only aware of a small portion of it. But what they talk about is if you did nothing where there was maximum transmission, what you would end up having is that hospitals would be overloaded. There's a limited number of ventilators and you're trying to figure out who to give the ventilator to. Um, essentially trying to decide who lives and who dies just because your capacity is so overloaded. And so part of this whole social distancing thing is to certainly try to spare as many people from getting sick as you can. But what you're trying to do is push down that bell curve, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe have fewer people getting sick and you're slowing down the transmission for maybe a longer period, but it makes it all more manageable for the system to be able to provide effective health care. And it was an interesting piece. There was a, a friend of mine who was texting me and he, when, he came up with his own word. We were talking about statistics that kind of um, can stand for what you want them to stand for. And he called them uh, ma- magistics, the ma- magic and <laughs> statistics and magistics. And I said, that's pretty good. That should be a word. Yes, it should. Yeah, it's interesting, interesting times for sure. Interesting times, I've, ne- yeah. I've never seen anything like this. No, no. And, you know, I, I've seen this uh, on the news out of the places like, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a hurricane coming and, and, you know, the stores are empty and, and people are hoarding things. And I, I never thought we'd experience it here. And uh, another thing that's been, I, I've been watching is uh, to see if price gouging is starting to happen. Because mm-hmm. if you go to, even like Amazon or Walmart.com, and you like look at to- toilet paper, they're completely out online too. So then I've been going to eBay to see if anyone's trying to uh, gouge prices yet on eBay. Right. The kind of stuff we talk about in the household um, is, let's say, you know, my wife and I, because we're we're in a more vulnerable age group, let's say we decided to really kind of keep a low profile and wash our hands a lot. Um, well, we have two daughters who work retail, and so they're both acutely aware of while they're getting, uh, you know, instructions from their corporate headquarters, they're talking to a bunch of people who are isolated in their living rooms, teleworking. These guys are on the front line dealing with the public, you know, every day. And of course, if they're dealing with the public every day, whatever they have, they're bringing into our house. What about, mm-hmm. what about, um, you know, the trainer, you know, who comes in uh, to work, you know, with my wife and the kids, you know, um, she's in a gym, you know, all day. And, you know, so it's sort of like, well, do you want to just keep paying her and have her emailing you the workouts? You know, are we really doing much? Can we self-isolate? 
you know, effectively. So it's it's all right. very interesting. All these discussions you'd never have normally. Yeah, well, around here, schools are closed. Uh, our local mm-hmm. district is closed right now for three weeks. But I have a feeling that'll get expanded. Um, yeah. So who, who knows? It's it's kind of kind of a weird time. Yeah, the Department of Defense on Friday night um, ordered no more personnel moves to include personal change or permanent change of stations uh, between now and May 11th. Everybody stay in place. No, mm-hmm. no trips, no temporary duties anywhere, no permanent change of stations. And I've never, certainly never seen that before. Yeah. So. Uh, and you know, this is, this is an old issue. Uh, I mean, you look in the Bible, there's, there's, a, seems to be an awful lot in the old Testament that talks about, uh, lepers and, you know, being unclean and separating yourself if you're unclean and, Mm-hmm. It's a thing. It's 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 pretty old. I would say it's as old as civilization. And just you know, how do we deal with that? How do we te- treat the sick people in our society humanely, but at the same time protect society? I, I think that's that's a challenge we haven't thought a lot about before. But uh, I think we're going to have to think a lot about now. So, what would Jesus be doing today? He was against the politics of purity. So, what would he be doing? Hanging out in public places, shaking hands with people. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's 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 fascinating. But I, I do mm-hmm. think my suspicion is that we'll look back on it and say, yeah, it was kind of a nasty bug, but we did okay. Um, I don't think there's going to be carnage, but we'll see. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I think it'll be very educational. It'll change how we view things, how we view telework, how we view disease how we view the yearly flu shot, for example. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get right. it or aren't you? It's like, well, maybe you're going to now, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It'll change a lot how we view things. Uh, yeah, I, I think this this will require society to change because the, the hit in terms of health and uh, uh, loss of life and, and, you know, pain and suffering is just going to be so great that things have got to change. Um, and part of it too with this uh, this virus is we we're still early in the the pandemic and we don't know much about it yet. Uh, it's not absolutely certain how it spreads. There seems to be uh, I've read different things. It doesn't seem to be absolutely set in stone and how this spreads, what the incubation periods are, how long you can transmit the disease after you don't have symptoms, how long you can transmit the disease before you have symptoms. So it's still uh, still early on, but hopefully, you know, we've taken enough action now to avoid a really major disaster. All right, so that's our cheery little podcast for tonight. Hey, but we have each other. We'll keep each other going. That's right. And we have the podcast, and it's it's social distancing, but we can still do it. And the website, the website, we haven't done this in a while. The website is... uh, catharticyardstick.com and the podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. How do you spell cathartic yardstick? Just like it sounds. (laughs) Just like it sounds, exactly. (laughs) You've been listening to the Cathartic Yardstick Podcast. It's okay. We're a little nervous too. I thought I was going to get a case of COVID-18. What is that? Corona light? (laughs) (laughs) Out of here.